This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, Clay Thompson here. By now you probably know that I like to read the newspaper. I just like that old school feel. But when I'm traveling or too busy to grab a paper, I like to go digital. It doesn't matter how you read the news, it just matters that you read it. That's how I stay informed. Read the paper or go digital. It's up to you. Be like Clay. Subscribe today and get local coverage of everything that matters. Read the paper. Subscribe to digital or print by going to clayoffer.com. It's news delivered your way. Brought to you by the Mercury News, East Bay Times, and Marin Independent Journal. Welcome to another episode episode of the Hardwood Knox. This is Adam Frommel here with Dan Favalli and Andy Bailey. Today we're going to be talking about one of the legends of the sport who has announced that he is going to retire at the end of this current season, and obviously that's Kobe Bryant. Um, talk about an amazing career, five rings, so many all-star appearances, so many memories. Um, we're going to get more during this farewell tour. Um, it seems to be all anyone wants to talk about whenever he goes to a new city for the last time. Um, so I, I just want to start off by asking both of you, what, what's your favorite Kobe memory um, from any point in his career? My favorite has been for years now, the out-of-bounds, the, the baseline out-of-bounds play where Matt Barnes is inbounding. Kobe Bryant's defending him, and, and I think there had been some sort of bad blood brewing in the game up to this point. It was getting kind of chippy. And Barnes pumps skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. So Pump fakes the ball before he passes it in. It's within an inch of Kobe's nose. Uh, it's There's no space there on the video. Kobe doesn't even flinch. In fact, he's just kind of like swagging back and forth. Because, <laughs> like I said, blood is, is kind of boiling at that point. And he's... Um, it's just unbelievable that there's no reaction from him whatsoever... And this guy puts the ball right in his face on the pump fake. And to me, it just sort of summed up Kobe's career. He was just such a fighter, um, such a competitor at all times. And I think that moment really, really uh, encapsulated that. That was actually my favorite moment as well. But you didn't even touch on my favorite part of it, which is what happened in the locker room afterwards. A reporter asked him, Kobe, why didn't you flinch? And he looks back at the reporter and says, why should I? (laughs) <laughs> which is just so perfect. That really, that's, yeah, that just adds to it. It's it, Everything about that is just so Kobe, and that quote definitely is too. Uh, I'm going to travel off the beaten path here with you guys. My favorite moment probably isn't a typical Kobe moment, but he made this pass against the Raptors in 2008 where he's literally on the break, and the Raptors pretty much send three guys to stop him, 
and he spins out around two of them with his handles. And you have Sasha Vujicic in the corner, wide open, waving for the ball. Kobe ignores him. He goes up for the layup, and there's a defender right there. I don't remember who it was at the moment. He just swings his arm around the defender and hits like Ronnie Turioff with a no-look pass. And it just sort of encapsulated that part of his career because you're like, oh, my God, look at who he's playing around and look at what he just did. And he was still, he was still passing. And that's probably one of the most underrated aspects of his career is he never passed enough, but he was such a good passer. I'll go off the beaten path as well um, and turn to the All-Star Games because I think that really shows just how competitive this guy was throughout his career. In 2012, he broke Dwayne Wade's nose. I'm sure we all remember that one. And then one year later, he went out of his way to, to take on these one-on-one matchups with LeBron and really play lockdown defense at that advanced stage of his career. I mean, this is, this is a guy who has so many miles on his legs. And instead of taking it easy and taking the All-Star Game for what it's supposed to be, which is just a never-ending supply of highlights. He, uh, he actually tried to take on the best player in the world and prove that he could still shut him down. Now, was it Kobe broke Wade's nose? I thought it was Wade broke Kobe's nose that year in 2012. Oh, you're right. My bad. But yeah, playing hard enough that he got his nose broken. How about that? Either way, well, it was- it's pretty clear Like his demeanor in All-Star Games was just different from anybody else there. And he, it wasn't something that he approached as this is a fan for the show, is this, or this is a show for the fans. This is kind of an off week for us players. Like to him, it was another game for him to win. It was another award for him to collect. Like he he really did approach those All Star games different than anybody that I've really watched in my life. There, I think there was also a story on Inside the NBA the other night where I don't know if it was. I think Kenny Smith was talking and they were playing in like a charity basketball game or something. And like Kobe came up to him with a dead face, dead serious face on like, yo, are you ready to go? We got to get this thing. <laughs> like it's a charity basketball game and Kobe's going at full tilt, which is just, that's so Kobe, I guess. Yeah, it is. And it's also so Michael Jordan, which is kind of what he's always striven to be throughout his entire career. And I think that's one of the reasons that we can we can make that comparison. Not saying that Kobe was Jordan because he wasn't. He never reached that level. But it's I think it's one of the reasons that he went through his entire career trying to be the new greatest of all time and trying to show that he could be just as uber competitive as Jordan was back in the day. Um, and it and it drove him to another level. Yeah, I was just that I was just had the same thought, but I was going to ask it as a question: Is there anybody? I was going to say anybody besides those two who had that kind of competitive drive, but I'll say that has there any has there been anyone since Jordan that had more of a competitive drive than Kobe? I would be willing to say that Westbrook at least matched uh, his intensity. I could maybe see that. Yeah. Okay. What about I'm at you? A blank besides that, yeah, I I think I would agree with Dan. It's it's hard to know just how competitive some of these guys are who yeah. aren't necessarily blessed with as much physical talent. But among the class of superstars, I don't know that, that you can really pick out another one. I mean, you look at like LeBron, who always seems like he's having fun on the court, and it's not necessarily his goal to not just beat an opponent, but to thoroughly embarrass them. Yeah. You know, Duncan always has that easygoing demeanor. Shaq always wanted to have fun. Like All these guys who are really fantastic players, they didn't necessarily have that same mentality. Even someone like Kevin Garnett, who tried to put on that tough guy persona, but I don't necessarily think that he had that same drive that Kobe always has. I think Does he's actually I think he's actually commented on Westbrook's drive too. And in fact I know Kobe has 
is something mm-hmm. that he admires. So that's that's a good one to pull out, I think. Go ahead, Dan. I mean, this is like just an extension of this topic. Does it make anyone else a little bit uncomfortable or at least I, I guess uncomfortable would be the word about how big a part of Kobe's legacy, his psychopathic work ethic really is. Like when you talk about him, your mind doesn't even necessarily go to the five championships or 81 points or some of the other stuff he's done on the court. It's, wow, this guy worked really hard. And, and, And that's great. But what other legend, what other, you know, if we're to assume he's a top 25 player of all time, do we associate with work ethic first and foremost before anything else. It's just bizarre. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, though. I think it's just who he is. And there was the recent quote that he gave about uh, what he was going to miss the most. I don't know if you guys saw it, but he didn't say, like, the competitiveness or winning championships. It was the little things like hearing sneakers squeak on the floor and hearing, like, the hum of the lights when you're working in an empty gym. And I think he really means that, that – basketball wasn't just a way for him to win titles and prove his athletic superiority it was a way for him to like use that that psychopathic work drive and become the best player that he could be and to me that's what that meant it's not just that he he did have that drive and that that's what we're going to remember but that even though he had all of these talents that he wanted to maximize them because not every player does yeah and i kind of think the the work ethic and the championships go hand in hand for my memory of Kobe. I I think with so much talent in the NBA these days, even a team as ridiculously and historically good as the Warriors, it's hard for me to imagine them winning five just because there's so many good players. You know, there's Anthony Davis, LeBron James is still around, um, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook. It's I think Kristaps Porzingis. Thank you. I'll throw him in for sure. But it's Thank just you, so, Adam. <laughs> you have to be that kind of maniacal worker and competitor to reach the top of of this talent pool five times. And what was the span that he did it in? Ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, I, I don't think you can have one without the other, at least not in my mind. That seems fair, but he also won some of his titles really young, and he had opportunities to play alongside guys that you look at Stephen Curry or Anthony Davis right now, and even LeBron. That's they true. never had a chance to play alongside that early in their career. I don't want, again. I don't want to criticize That's his true. drive, but but it also speaks to his to, to the controversial nature of his legacy that his work ethic is such a big part of it because of the iffy relationship he has with advanced analytics with his. Mm-hmm play style and how it relates to the rest of the NBA with that misperception that he actually was clutch when really that was just a, a person agenda driven narrative. It, it all just seems to like fall under that one umbrella because we have to talk about his work ethic if we want to put him among some of the all-time greats. Which begs the question, where would we put him among the all-time greats? I mean, Dan said earlier, top 25, do we want to go higher than that? When I, when I ranked the top 100 and used a lot of analytics to do it, I had him at number 11. Um, he's probably going to move down a little bit as other current players move past him. Um, but I, th- I think we can safely say, like, top 15. That's exactly what I was going to say, actually. It was top 15 without looking at a, a list of players in front of me. Um, I did read an article from Kevin Pelton the other day, ESPN's stats guy, about how he's, he doesn't quite crack the top 10. Um, 
I think I think the reason is is obviously there is a little bit of a me first with him at times. Some of the stuff that Adam mentioned, or not Adam, Dan mentioned just a minute ago, his clashes with you know big superstars like Shaq. Like, what if they had gotten along, and how many titles could he have in that situation? Um, and then there's other guys that just I think just have a slightly better resume. So I I'm not ready to give him top ten. Uh, but I th- I think I can safely do top fifteen. I, I think you could easily make a case for top fifteen. Uh, I'm more think he might fall in that top twenty to top twenty five range, especially with the way that we're sort of looking at how we would rank these guys. Adam just said he used a ton of analytics to do it, and I think as we move on, you're going to have other guys jumping ahead of Kobe very soon if they haven't already, but again, I guess it is, I might be underestimating him because if Adam said, and he's the analytics king here, if Adam said he fell in at 11, you said, while using all those numbers, then yeah, that's, that's pretty damn impressive. It's he, interesting. The, the discussion always seems to be whether Kobe or Duncan was the best player of this generation. And for the record in those rankings, I had Kobe at 11 and Duncan all the way up at number five. And I'll stand by that. To me, the more interesting question is actually between Kobe and, uh, and Kevin Garnett, who I had at 15. I think that their careers are actually a lot more comparable, especially because they both had those years where they were dominant individuals for really bad teams. That's true, and I've never really heard that comparison. But I, I think I would take Kobe in that situation. And then for, for Kobe Duncan, it's, I think it's a no-brainer that it's Duncan. It should be. Oh, for sure. It should be. Ethan, Ethan Strauss from ESPN phrased it best on Twitter. I think yes, the day before we recorded this, he said the, uh, the question of Kobe Bryant versus Tim Duncan sounds a lot like Kobe Bryant versus the right answer. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's fair. I had a question for both of you guys. Um, which current players do you think could hop Kobe as an all-time great by the time their careers are done? Well, which current players have hopped them already? And let's say your rankings, Adam, it had to be Duncan LeBron. and LeBron. Yeah, all right. So and those I, two are already out, and I think I would agree with both of those. Um, I would say Kevin Durant, if he hasn't already, he will eventually. Anthony Davis most certainly will eventually. I think Stephen Curry will eventually. I'll just throw Christoph so, Porzingis. <laughs> this is kind of crazy, and I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with any of those, but just think about, it's kind of like I was saying earlier, how much talent is in the NBA right now? I know we're getting a little oh, bit of off, off of Kobe, but man, there are some good individual players, and a lot of these guys look up to Kobe. Um, I know Kevin Durant, when, when the announcement first came out, he had some shots <laughs> to fire at the media for being mean to Kobe because he Shocker. said that was... <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like the media. Um, but I, I don't know how much of an inspiration Kobe was for all of these guys, but he, he certainly has blazed a trail for some of the most talented players the league has ever seen. Oh, absolutely. And with the list that Dan just gave of players who he thinks could, could move past Kobe, it's, it's hard to, to make too many more additions to that list just because we are talking about a top 15 guy yeah. all time and it's about, hard to get to that level the only it's name, hard to imagine anybody having the same sort of longevity yeah the only other that. name that i'd say i think has a chance right now a realistic chance that isn't like 23 or 24 is chris paul well, yeah, what about Dwayne wade see i think wade's career is too advanced like he's probably a top 30 guy already but without winning a couple more championships 
I don't know that his legacy is going to be boosted that much because he's not going to play at an MVP level from this yeah, point forward. Yeah, he's on the downslope for sure. Well, then, again, we're just back to where so much of Kobe's legend seems to be about, about volume because he came, he was in so many different playoff campaigns that, of course, his numbers are going to be monstrous. And I think it's worth noting, I would have to double-check this, but I checked it once, he never led his championship team in win shares. It was either Shaq or Pau Gasol. Yep. So it's just like, again, I don't want to take anything away from what he's done, but I do think sometimes you almost have to because if, you're, if we're looking back at everyone's body of work, would you honestly pick Kobe over Dwayne Wade? I wouldn't. I still would. And I think part of it is the longevity too because That's if you look at what say. Wade is doing right now, he's 34 years old and he's averaging 18, 3, and 4 in pretty inefficient fashion and his defense has declined to the point where he's no longer an asset at all on that end of the court. And, you know, when Kobe was 34, he was still averaging 27.3, and 6 with better percentages. I mean, that was right before all the injuries started to kick in. But what he did for so long was ridiculous. I mean, we really hadn't seen a player outside of Jordan maintain that level of offensive play from a guard position or a wing position even Let me- into, into his late 30s like Kobe did. Listen to this peak real quick. I I just took the seasons from age, uh, age twenty one to thirty four. So thirteen years, he averaged over twenty in every one of those seasons. He averaged over thirty in three of them. Um, his average across those thirteen seasons was twenty seven point eight, five point seven rebounds, five point two assists, forty six percent from the field. Uh, to maintain that level of play for 13 years, like I think Larry Bird's entire career was 13 years, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And um, even though he was an inefficient volume shooter, I mean, he did make a couple threes. He did get to the free throw line so often that like his true shooting percentage does stack up with a lot of other great scorers. And as Dan mentioned earlier, he was a great passer, and he doesn't really get credit for that. Yeah, I just I think 13 years of that level of play is insane, and I agree with you, Adam. Like. It, he wasn't a great three-point shooter, but he did get to the line. He did pass to people. So um, it's it's just an incredible run to me. If you want to take Dwayne Wade's peak over Kobe's peak, I'm actually fine with that. Well, like 2008 Wade, sure. Here's my thing. Kobe wasn't contending for titles at age 34, and Dwayne Wade no. is going to be. But that's also a byproduct of who you got to play with, right? Right, but couldn't we argue that the byproduct of who Kobe didn't get to play with Help drum up his numbers. Absolutely. That's what. It, yeah. That's Absolutely. why everything just seems so warped. And again, I even my favorite version of Kobe was 2012, 2013 Kobe, which I actually think was his age 34 season. That's the best season we've ever individual season we've ever seen from someone of that age. It might even be. It's easily one of the top five seasons we've ever seen from someone older than 32. But my thing is, is what happened to the Lakers that year with all that talent around him? Nothing. They got a bounce in the first round and barely made the playoffs. They made the playoffs prior to his injury because of him. But, again, that team was supposed to be great, and he had this talent around him. If you put put that same talent around Dwayne Wade today, I think Dwayne Wade's team would be marketedly better. And that might be just my thing is Dwayne Wade seems to have more of a profound impact on his team, and he can easier assimilate into a different dynamic than Kobe ever could. I think that's, I think that's definitely true. <laughs> um, 
that's the Dwight Howard year, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there's clearly. I don't, how much do we factor in like personality into these rankings? I think it's fair to do it a little bit. Oh sure, it absolutely is, and it always just goes both ways. I yeah. mean, it's hard. It's hard to give a player credit or take it away for the talent that's around them. Yeah. And I think it's definitely fair to to put a couple of black marks on the on the record because he wasn't necessarily able to to work well with um with other elite talents uh whether it was Shaq or whether it was was the Dwight team later on. But um I I just have trouble with the the Wade comparison just because they were different caliber players for such prolonged periods of their careers. Yeah, and I feel like Wade, like you said, his peak might be a little bit better than Kobe's, but uh, the demands of that peak seem to have broken him down quicker than it did Kobe. And um, I don't know if that makes sense to the listeners, but (laughs) Kobe had that insane peak and that insane work ethic and usage for over a decade, and it didn't break him until he was like 35. And understandably so. <laughs> Would it have even broken him if his Achilles didn't break first? Like that seemed to be like sort of a chance no, injury. I, yeah, maybe not. Because uh, you could say that that was part of the mileage that he had on his body. But like you said, it could have also just been a freak thing. And <laughs> the history of Achilles injuries, we're seeing now kind of what it's doing to Wes Matthews, who's even a guy in his, I, th- I think he's still in his 20s. Yeah, late um, 20s. So imagine... <laughs> trying to come back from it in your mid-30s. Did, did you guys find it weird that he eventually announced that he was retiring? I almost feel like he did it because he needed justification, justification for how crappy this season is going. <laughs> like It just seemed it, that things got so bad and he was so far away from his former self that it was like, okay, like yeah, maybe he doesn't care about what the media is saying, but at the same time, he's taking all this flax the jokes are out of control. Yeah. The Lakers are a laughing stock, and now this deflects attention, and, and it's sort of made everyone look at him through a softer scope already, sure. I would think. It's definitely done that to me. Um, I feel like it was kind of an ace in the hole for him, and they they had a lot of this stuff ready to go. Like He had a logo on the letter, the Hero Villain logo. Have you guys seen that? Um, it's already trademarked and everything. It's like an H with a V as the line between the H and it's supposed to mean hero villain. Um, it just seems like they had a lot of this stuff in the works and maybe him and his team just thought, okay, we got to wait for the right moment to drop this. And, and like Dan said, maybe when everybody was kind of giving him crap, he thought, okay, let's go ahead and pull this out. It, It definitely feels like that to me. I still like my off the wall theory that everything Kobe is, currently doing is meant to help out the Lakers and he knows Could it. Yeah. That he's he's intentionally taking all these shots because he knows that he's going to draw so much criticism and deflect it away from D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle as they learn on the job and by doing by taking all these shots he's helping them them lose and hold on to their top three draft pick and and all that and it's just like the ultimate self-sacrifice move. That it's would be the ultimate true, swan song for Kobe. Like the I'm, exact opposite of his entire yeah. career mentality. <laughs> Yeah, like if he just came out after this season and just said that, think about how much differently we would probably just view this entire year. We he'd probably be celebrated. Yeah, like, even if, man, what a guy. Even if it's not true, he should listen to Adam and just do this at the end of the season. 
Oh, for and sure. And just completely save face. From from a more serious standpoint, though, and I think I've actually asked both of you about this before, does he not realize that, and his stat lines wouldn't even matter if he did this, if he just passed and tried to play defense, like, think about how differently everything would be looked at right now. He would probably be commended. I, I agree. That I agree. And he would years. be more effective. He definitely would be more effective. But at the same time, I kind of get it. Because he is playing with these guys who I don't were they even born when he started his career? Like <laughs> Randall and Russell. Russell might not I don't have think been, Russell yeah. was. He's I think team, it's right? Yeah, I think it's legitimately hard for a future Hall of Famer like that to defer well, that much. He should. He should, but I get why he's not. I don't I actually don't. Again, assuming that this isn't some a part of some master plan that you've come <laughs> up with, which I think would be awesome. You're, you're losing while you're trying to win then is essentially what Kobe's doing, and that makes him look like a fool. Like, just look at his shot selection. Last night, he had, like, there was so much time left on the shot clock. He was, like, 35 feet away from the basket, and he just jacked it up. Like, what are you it's, doing it's if you're weird. not trying to lose? It's sad. <laughs> ben Simmons! <laughs> no, again, <But> yeah. <laughs> if, that, if that's what happened, if him and the Lakers have this, like, you know, backroom handshake, like, hey, you go out there and you do this for us, but they don't. Well, and let's remember that Jeannie Buss has said that the Lakers will never tank, but she has not said that Kobe Bryant will never tank. Yeah, good point, or Byron Again, Scott. If that's possible, it's great, and Kobe deserves two statues outside Staples Center, because <laughs> Ben Simmons is probably going to be that, that good. But it just comes back to, like, yeah, maybe it's tough to sort of relate to these guys or connect with them or wait for them to not make mistakes because they're so young and inexperienced. But at the same time, like, don't you realize, like, yeah, for every, you know, random 30, 40-point night you're going to have, you're going to play, like, crap for, you know, three quarters of the season. And I don't understand why he would want to go out like that. I honestly don't. It's not like he has a shot at catching Kareem this season. Like, is that what he's playing for? Like, hey, let me make up that thousands and thousands of points (laughs) for, like, right now. Maybe that is that second statue going to be him shooting a fadeaway with like four other guys right in front of him. That second statue is just going to be like uh, him laying bricks <laughs> down on his knees and like overalls. And yeah. <laughs> oh man. So my, my follow up question here is: Does this detract from his legacy? I I think um, I think the last two or three years, in a way, enhances part of his legacy. I think it it sort of magnifies the selfishness thing that he's dealt with his whole career. And and the fact that he hasn't been willing to adapt at all in the last two or three years as his game has declined. And you look at other players around the league who are similar age, like Dirk Nowitzki, Tim Duncan, some of these other guys who will take less money, take less shots, take a smaller role, while Kobe gets the fattest contract in the league, and I can't fault him for that. I, I wouldn't do that. But um, continues to have a 30-plus usage and just um, hasn't changed at all. And I think, I don't know if it really detracts from his legacy as much as just sort of proves what a lot of people have thought about him all along. It definitely detracts from his legacy. <laughs> everything, everything you just said, we, don't, we normally give players – on the last two or three years, maybe even four years of their career, we, we give them a slide, even if it doesn't matter how much they're making. We, we might have been able to overlook that ridiculous extension he signed a few years ago, but he, he's had every opportunity to evolve and at least try to be some sort of a role player. 
but his inability to adapt, and then when he sort of does adapt by taking more threes, like he just he can't make them. It, it's just again, it doesn't take away a ton because look at the talent that has been around him over these last three years, and there are injuries to consider which are beyond his control, especially when you know how hard he works. But when you see this, and you know that he has had years to understand that he can change this, that definitely takes away from his legacy. For me, I think it, it colors my perception of him um, for all the reasons that you guys are saying, but it doesn't necessarily like make me think that he was a worse basketball player or want to move him down in all-time rankings or anything like that. Because ultimately, we have to remember the situation, which is that this is a guy in his late 30s who's fought to come back from these, these devastating injuries, is playing without a lot of talent around him. And beyond that, we don't really talk about Michael Jordan on the Washington Wizards. We don't really talk about Patrick Ewing and Hakeem Olajuwon playing on different teams at the end of their career, maybe because of the 24-7 era that we live in and the prominence of Kobe Bryant will remember this late career decline a little bit more. But ultimately, it's going to get washed away by everything else he did during his career. I agree with that. I <laughs> I agree with all the things that you said about players on different teams too. Like four or five years from now, we we probably won't talk about this last year as much. Um, I do want to kind of contextualize it though, if you guys don't mind, what what he's doing and the fact that it might be the worst shooting season in the history of the NBA. It might be the worst season period in the history of the NBA. <laughs> well, let me just focus on shooting, and then maybe you can hammer the rest of it home. Um, so right now he's taking uh, 18.1 field goal attempts per game and 7.9 three-point attempts. And there have been 17 individual seasons in NBA history where a player shot 18 field goal attempts and, and seven threes a game. Kobe's dead last in three-point percentage, obviously. The pre- his 22, the previous low is 29.6. Dead last in field goal percentage. Uh, previous low was 46.7. He's 41.2. Dead last in true shooting percentage. Uh, although this season's Maurice Spates is tied with him. Um, that can't be right. Though. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm into different. I'm into something else now. Um, he is dead last in true shooting. What the last, the Maurice Spates thing was players with a usage over 30. And there have been 170, uh, I think it's 171 seasons. 171 seasons where a player had a usage of 30 or higher and his true shooting percentage is dead last 41.2. The previous low was Jordan on the wizards, 46.8. And that's the one where this season spates is tied with him. But yeah, (laughs) he's just, and it's not just that he's last in all these categories, which would be bad enough. He has a, a significant cushion in between second to last on all these. Like it, it is, at the moment, the worst shooting season ever. And like Adam said, <laughs> if you're the worst shooting season ever, you're probably not far off from the worst individual season ever. Well, especially because he, right now, his defensive box plus minus among players who qualify for the minutes leaderboard is the 25th worst of all time. <laughs> okay, so, so, so yeah, the worst shooting like season ever plus that. out either end. Oh, man. It's, well, it's... It's all of this sort of speaks to the point, and I guess the caveat would be the Lakers are awful, like aside from Kobe, but it sort of speaks to the fact that he came into the league at the perfect time, and he might be leaving a little too late, but he's definitely leaving at the perfect time overall because he can't play in today's NBA. Even 
the Kobe of five, seven years ago can't play in today's NBA. So when, when he wrote that retirement poem on the Players' Tribune, uh, my, my brother texted me and asked me what I thought of the poem. And my response was that he should have given it at the end of last year. Yeah. And I think he's just kind of proven that this year because it's, it's awful. And respect for wanting to play, I guess, especially because being bad doesn't actually hurt the Lakers right now. No. But uh, it's, it's not good. Respect for taking the bullet. Like but don't worry, that. Kevin Durant. His legacy is still awesome. I feel like yeah. we have to include that now. That's true. I make, I make no apologies to Kevin Durant. <laughs> not even when he's going to be wearing a Knicks jersey next year. <laughs> All right. So it seems like we're done with Kobe, which means that it is now time for... Ah, yes, burning my bacon. And this time, Adam Fermel is going to be taking the floor. Did you guys know that Draymond Green is not an elite player in the NBA because he's averaging only 12.7 points per game? I did. I don't think I, did I didn't know, know that, that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> is there uh, some rule that you have to average at least 20.7 or something? Apparently. <laughs> I mean, I, I keep getting told by, uh, by commenters, by people on Twitter that that I'm massively overrating Draymond by calling him a top 10 player in the NBA right now, even though he most assuredly is because points per game is not the end-all, be-all of NBA statistics. In fact, it's often extremely misleading. And in, in Green's case, it completely overlooks how ridiculously important he is to the Warriors. I mean, I, I would make an argument that even though Stephen Curry is running away with MVP this season, that Green still deserves to be in the top three or four spots on ballots because he's that important to this historically dominant team. When he sets screens and rolls into the paint and, and gets these passes from Curry, defenses have no idea how to react because he's such an adept passer. I mean, he's averaging 7.2 assists per game this season. that They, they don't know what to do because he's going to finish or he's going to find that open man. If you look at net ratings on the Warriors, Curry is leading the team plus 21.3 per 100 possessions when he's on the court. Green is second, plus 19.1. No one else in the starting lineup is above five. I mean, wow. the impact that he's having on this team is ridiculous because he's a defensive player of the year candidate. He's, one, he's probably the best passing forward in the game today. No disrespect meant to LeBron James. He's capable of spacing out the court with his three-point stroke. He can slide over to center. And, and put this death lineup together in today's small ball NBA. Granted, he's on the right team that's perfectly maximizing his talents. And if you switched him out, like let's say for like Paul Millsap on the Atlanta Hawks, he probably wouldn't be as good. But that shouldn't really be relevant because we're talking about the situation he's actually in. So I don't really care that he's only averaging a dozen points whenever he takes to the court because he's just that good. What would actually be different if he was on... A different team. Perhaps his assists would go down because you don't have as many guys making shots at a high level. But really, what else? I think it's hard for him to uh, to take on the same playmaking role on a different team because the Warriors have built such a fine-tuned system around him that also relies on on a defense's need to to throw two defenders at Curry. I was going to say anyone who. I, th- I think anybody who left Curry would probably see a slight decline in shooting percentages too, just because of the gravity that he has. Yeah. But I, I'm with you. I think he'd be an amazing player on any team. I am also with Adam that this is probably the best situation. And I actually had him in my top 10 too, just kind of playing around on Twitter the other day. I listed my top 10 and he was in there. Um, he is the only player in the league right now averaging 12, 8, and 7. 
defense is obviously a defensive player of the year candidate type of level. And this is another, I think it was another Kevin Pelton article. He actually wrote something pretty cool about how Draymond Green is the best center in the NBA right now. Um, some of his <laughs> statistical, some of his statistical output when he plays at center is insane. And, and that goes to that death lineup, but his versatility is just unbelievable right now. And I think he's, he's clearly one of the 10 best players to this point in the season. Yeah, at this point, it's not a question of whether he's a deserving all-star. It's whether he's a deserving MVP candidate. Yeah, and I, I hadn't crazy, heard anybody but... say that until you, but I, I, I can't disagree with you. I think I don't know if I'd say top three, but he's definitely top five right now. I would, I would probably say he's top three. Could you, I'm, I'm wondering if when all is said and done, assuming most of this keeps up, could he and Curry like, have the most combined MVP voting points of any duo in NBA history? Because I, I honestly don't know how you name who else do you give your vote to aside from one of these guys? Maybe LeBron, but who else? I think, Kawhi Leonard or Russell Westbrook yeah. or Paul George. Well, I think that's a cool idea, but I think a lot of the old school voters who vote on MVP would never. I don't think they would oh, ever vote for yeah. two players absolutely. on the same team. So, for what it's worth, Basketball Reference has an MVP award tracker where they use like a uh, model based on previous voting results to determine probabilities. Green has a 1.1% chance of winning MVP this season, but Steph Curry is running away with it at 94.3%. So that's actually still fourth in the league behind only wow. Curry, Kawhi Leonard, and Russell Westbrook. That's absurd is what it is. <laughs> well, I think uh, we're obviously in agreement with you, Adam, and I'm sure all three of us will continue to deal with uh, Warriors and Draymond Green doubters on Twitter. If you Just want. don't be so swayed by points <laughs> per game. That's all. Okay. I, you guys should take that to heart. I think that's a, a valuable uh, bit of advice from Adam Frommel. If you want to talk to him about it on Twitter, you can. He's at Frommel09, F-R-O-M-A-L-09. Dan is at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey, and all three of us are at Hardwood Knox. If you would like... To subscribe to the podcast, you can do that on iTunes. We would also really appreciate a rating there. You can favorite us on Stitcher. And as always, shout out to Bino Udri. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. (laughs) 
In fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR.